Welcome to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast. Many thanks for joining us today on the Journal of Biophilic Design. Uh, first of all, we've got some really exciting news. We've got the magazine that comes out um, this month in October. It's coming out as an ebook, um, Kindle edition. So please go to uh, Kindle and and um, and order it. <laughs> um, also, there's a beautiful full colour hardback edition um, coming out. It's over 100 pages. Um, it's full of research, opinions um, on this theme is the workplace. Um, but there's also um, regular sections on plants, well-being, um, uh, the environment as well, and uh, the city, biophilic cities, as well as there being a specific um, research-led, evidence-based um, section on the science behind biophilic design. So very, very exciting. So please go to journalofbiophilicdesign.com and um, there's a page on the website which tells you all about it. So please um, do register, sign up for our newsletter and basically get involved. Thanks so much for your support. Um, but um, here today, we are really excited to be joined by Gary Thornton. Um, he's Associate Lighting Director at Nolte Lighting. Um, he has actually written us um, an excellent article on uh, the importance and the power of light um, and how you can light biophilically um, in the magazine. So please um, do check his article out. Um, but Gary, many thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Very pleased to be here. That's lovely. Um, well, Gary as well is actually speaking at Workplace Trends. Um, we're a, a media partner for Workplace Trends. Um, it's going to be taking place on the 18th of October in London, and uh, Gary is speaking there. So um, maybe before we sort of go ahead and, and go down the whole thing, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, Gary, um, sure. about you, the company, and, and what you do, please? Yeah, so as you mentioned, I'm, I'm an associate lighting designer at Nolte. We are an independent lighting design practice, pretty much working across all sectors from individual private resi right up to big city master plans and consulting and inputting on lighting frameworks and strategies, um, kind of one end to the other, and everything in between as well from hospitality and commercial spaces increasingly what, what I'm focusing on is a big chunk of my role within the team. Um, I've been in the lighting industry for about 12 years or so um, and you know, I can confirm it never stands still always pushing technology always pushing innovation um, and increasingly recently um, with a slant towards sustainability and circularity and products and workspaces all of which are sort of biophilic design or biophilic philosophy can encompass as well so I think there's there's a really of the moment time for lighting to, to come to the fore. That's, that's excellent to hear it's really good because light is so important um obviously for so many reasons which you're <laughs> going to tell us about <laughs> um but what got, what got you into lighting um first of all it's sort of um it's quite a niche thing so I it is like... and it's you know almost embarrassingly but not uncommon it, it was purely by accident I, I studied product design at university and always had an interest in kind of the uh, lighting from a product design point of view and I had a sort of interest in photography where the understanding of light is incredibly important as well and then post graduating uh, to be frank the, the job market wasn't overly buoyant and so I would the whole raft of us were, were scrabbling for anything with design or designer in the job description and I found myself um, kind of interning at uh, an architectural lighting practice and it was there only when I found myself doing lighting design that I realized architectural lighting design was its own discipline was its own um, kind of fundamental consultancy role and absolutely fell in love with it and been, been here ever since. Fantastic. It sounds really, really good. Um, 
I mean, can you explain, I mean, you mentioned biophilic design um, earlier there, and um, can you explain why lighting is important um, just generally, um, but and also how it fits into the biophilic design um, philosophy, please? Yeah, I mean, I guess in its purest sense, biophilia is the, the love and connection with nature that I think so many of us try and articulate. Um, but it's biophilic design as a philosophy has kind of been inspired by this, taking cues from this and seeing how we can weave that into the built environment. Because um, we, we are an add-on to nature. So if we want to biophilic design, it's looking what nature's already doing, what it's been doing for many years, and kind of pulling that into our own schemes, invariably interior schemes, but anything that, that's built and man-made, how we can look at that. Because, you know, effectively we are a diurnal species. We evolved under light and darkness for much longer than we've been under artificial light and so we have this really powerful component in in daylight and i think you know one of the best things i could do is say ask you to imagine um a, a scene of nature in your head you know it might be a beach it might be a forest it might be a meadow what it will almost certainly have is an element of lighting to it natural light and i think even if you're you're imagined a place or you're you're safe your your warm place to go to is somewhere at night it will invariably have a starry sky in your imagination. We have this ingrained ability to imagine and contextualize natural light or the absence of natural light in our heads. We know exactly what lighting should look like um, and how it performs. Um, and often when we come into a space and it feels a bit jarring or cold, it's because it's not how we're expecting it to look. But all humans have this innate built-in sort of ethos in the back of their head, in their imagination, to be able to picture exactly what natural light should look like. Um, and, and how it should be performing. And I think a biophilic approach to what we do is trying to pull some of those cues inwards into the built environment. So um, looking at trying to create an aesthetic that, that moves and shifts throughout the day that isn't static because, you know, daylight isn't any of those time lapses. You see the, the shadows panning across the sky and, and things like that. Um, and so one of the things, I mean, obviously biased, but towards lighting slightly but a lot of things in a, in a workspace for example are static they are fixed the walls don't change color the, the tables often don't usually change position but the one thing that can shift over the course of the day is is the lighting scheme and so arguably we've got we've got this ability to influence behavior and the, the look and feel of a space more so than than any other discipline that's really it's, it's interesting because um I mean I, I'm I've I'm always somehow always been uh, very connected to to lighting and sort of I'm affected by lighting uh, I've worked in offices where they've had those sort of flickery things you know this was like in the in the 90s you know when it was like yep. really banks of desks and and I found myself being very aggravated and 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 sad and and squished and <laughs> um you know um. And and it's lovely to hear what you you've articulated that incredibly well um, about our, our innate connection and sort of um, sort of uh, ability and um, it's just like it's in our essence really to understand. Life. I think it's it's baked into us so much. But as I said, we, we evolved under it for far longer than we've been under artificial light. So it's it's there, but whether we know it or not, consciously, subconsciously, unconsciously, it it's there some, somewhere in the back of our heads um, for all, for all those years we spent evolving under it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, obviously, we're going to talk about you know biophilic design 
in interventions with lighting and and sort of positivity but can you give us an example of like of bad lighting um maybe um and and how it affects us if it's if it's wrong <laughs> yeah i mean i think lighting is often and it's this is kind of from from my own experience it's one of the unsung heroes of a space because it's so intangible and it's invisible until it strikes the surface and bounces back towards your eye invariably we haven't specified what that surface is we might have had a conversation and talked to them about color and texture but that's surface that piece of furniture that wall covering wasn't ours to specify so we're not in sole control of it but what we have specified is invisible until it strikes that surface and bounces back to you and how you perceive it and I think you you got it bang on a minute ago when you you said you've experienced bad lighting and it felt quite oppressive or quite jarring and I think when it comes to bad lighting most people can feel it instantly they might not know it's the lighting they might not be able to articulate that it's something glaring at them or something a bit too cool and harsh but it is that that flat uniform space that is our those those workspaces from 20 30 years ago with with 600 by 600 ceiling panels some of them flicker some of them have gone kind of greenish and and taken on or pinkish hue over time um it 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 is that it is a very flat scheme but it's sort of unlayered no visual relief just a flat and invariably slightly too cool scheme but i think the overarching thing for me is that bad lighting doesn't consider the people in the space it doesn't consider how the space is going to be used. So it will often, you know, a, a bad lighting scheme or one, one that needs addressing is one that will just treat the room or the space like a big empty box with no forecast of who's going to be in it or how they're going to be using that space once they're there, um, which, which is almost the antithesis of, of what we try and strive for in, in all our projects. Mm, yeah, and so in contrast, um, what would be... Um... Well, before I just before I do that, how does it how, how does that how extra does that affect us? I mean, how does what you know and what you've seen, how have you seen people react? Uh, you know, I mean, I think there's there's a there's a physical and a physiological element to that. The, the thing that you touched on, flicker, is one of the most popular complaints by far because people can perceive different rates of flicker you might be able to see something flicker and that i might not pick up on me there's also imperceptible flicker that could be giving you headaches even if your eye can't see it um so kind of headaches and migraines is obviously a, a huge downside to it but also glare you know so some of some of the fittings um even modern day le fittings just because it's led doesn't make it good per se um but even some modern day fittings can be extremely glary um again it's usually because the fitting is inappropriately located, hasn't considered who's sitting where in the space. And maybe you've got something shining right into your face when you're trying to do some work on a screen. Um, so, you know, at, at best, bad lighting is is preventing efficiency, preventing from people doing the work. And, you know, it's not a space that people want to come back to. It's not a space they enjoy being in. And at, and at the much worse end, you've got headaches and migraines and perceptible flicker and, and all things that contribute to physical detriment to a person as well. Mm -hmm. because that has psychological effect as well doesn't it so people just you know, completely completely and i think it, it's only it's relatively recently that we've been able to articulate this and contribute it to to well-being and sort of mental health particularly how you know if you don't want to be if, if a space isn't making you feel welcome and sort of empowering to come in and do your job and somewhere you like to to visit time and time again you won't want to be going into an office you won't want to be going into a space and so that puts extra stresses on you because you know you're sitting on the train in the morning almost fretting about the space that you've got to go and spend six seven eight hours in knowing that it's not conducive to making you feel very good yeah exactly 
I mean, so maybe um, in contrast, then what would be an example of um, of good lighting, sort of beneficial lighting, and then and and how would that sort of like transform those feelings and the sort of the psychological, and mental, and and physical well being? Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna say a phrase just to get it out of the way, but human centric lighting. I I don't like it as a phrase. It's become a bit of a buzzword um because you know all artificial lighting schemes should be human centric who are we lighting for if it's not people and ourselves you know <laughs> most most <laughs> plants animals the rest of the world gets on fine without artificial lighting everything we implement is for us so for me the idea of human centric lighting is a sort of marketing buzzword that that has lost meaning slightly because it's what we should be doing but i think the idea of something being human centric putting people first front and center of a scheme is where we start if, even pre-concept you know trying to establish a brief with a client why do you want to like this space how's it going to be used who's going to be in it does it need to be flexible or rigid do you need certain light levels or, or do you not and i think what once you start to establish some of these things you almost write your own brief for for the client and say look this this is what we're going to do this is why we're going to do it um and then starting to put in layers of light lots of different visual data so i think it, you know workplace is a good example as most people who experience these predominantly your, your lighting will come from a very high level at the ceiling that's where most of your functional lighting will come from but if you consider flicker rate and color temperature you can make it a very comfortable and welcoming environment um as but as well as that that sort of high level data you've got the amount of light that falls on your desk often people design to a standard which increasingly is over lighting a space um it you know lots of the standards are written based on how much we're doing paper-based work rather than screen-based work and they're they're still catching up ever so slightly um but it's it's much easier to put perhaps a slightly lower light level on the desk as standard and give people a task lamp localize their control give them some input and choice to what they're doing and if they feel that they want a bit of a boost they can switch it on it doesn't really affect anybody else but it gives them control and sort of empowers them to to take control over the lighting within their space um the, the other thing we can look at as well as creating these horizontal datums is is look at your vertical surfaces probably in your peripheral now and everything i'm looking at around me we've got vertical walls if, if we don't light those directly then they can often look not dark, but they will look gloomy by comparison of all the, the very brightly lit horizontal services. And so creating this horizon line, creating this backdrop of things we're looking at is a really powerful way to enhance the space. It's, it's sort of techniques we've been using in hospitality for a long time in hotels, in bars and restaurants. And actually, particularly as we're all coming back from, from a sort of fairly turbulent couple of years, creating spaces that are, are not overcompensating, but really leaning into creating an experience or creating a destination where we want people to spend time mm -hmm. recognizing how this contributes to, to well-being and your perception and feeling of a space. Um, it's, it's looking at all these different layers of light rather than just having something in the ceiling and a monitor in front of you. That, that can feel very stark and static. Mm -hmm. And actually, you know, I think we've learned that isn't overly comfortable for people. No, exactly. I think it's a, it's a really good idea. I mean, I, you've mentioned in it, like just saying you saying, and you think it's like so it's so obvious actually to kind of light uniformly for like people and for the space, and so it looks beautiful and and like aesthetically lovely, um, or you know pleasing, or it's, it's it's good for like you know transient and like moving down the office and stuff like that. But actually, having a desk lamp or something where the person can control. Um, and what what a genius idea! I mean, I know in the um, in your article you talk about that, and you, you it's sort of human centric, the people centric, yeah. But but you talk about people having a choice, 
Um, and and also, you know, the, the whole pandemic thing that like you just touched on, you know, we've been locked away. We've been working from home. So we've had like yeah. total control over most of us anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and, um, but we, we, we even then we have control of where we put our desk, whether it's like oh, we switch the light on in the kitchen or not, or whether we've got a you know, dedicated office space that we're next to the window. Um, you know what what we, we create our space for us, for, for our our to optimize what we're doing because we can. Um, so when you go back to the office, you, you know, if, if you if you don't have control over that, you're not going to want to go back, are you? It's going to it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a long lot of kind of enticing too. And I think. You t- in, in your article it's brilliant um, because you you know it's about actually giving people back choice because then that will entice people back to the office it will create better mindsets and, and stuff um I mean can you can you explain a little bit more um about that can you sort of expand a bit yeah I mean I think that was a very good summary really sort of leading <laughs> into the question but I think you know the, the idea of choice yeah, exactly we, we spent the best part of two years if not slightly more at home curating our own workspace from mm-hmm. what we wanted to sit on what we wanted to look at how much light we had did we pull a blind down and it was slightly more diffuse did we put the big light on did we put a task light on you know all of these things we had at our fingertips and so I don't think we can give all of those nuances to people in a workspace that's being shared with tens or even hundreds of people. But what we can do is be adaptable, be flexible and give people a choice. You know, that simplest thing is a small a small task light or desk light that's got a little local switch on it. The, the stuff in the ceiling, the stuff around you invariably is on a, a lighting control system that's got timers and uh, sensors associated with it so we're not lighting portions of the office that don't need lighting we've got daylight sensors around the perimeter of the office so we're deliberately dimming uh lighting artificial lighting in the ceiling when there is sufficient daylight coming in through the glazing um and i think coming back again it's considering how people are using the space so A lot of workspaces now, you know, people are being encouraged to come back into the office, but they, they have to be flexible. Um, they have to be adaptable for, for different pockets of space. Do you want to work in a group? Do you want to work in your own? Um, and I think workplace lighting has historically been very flat and one dimensional, as we touched on with those sort of 600 by 600 ceiling panels. And that was it. They, yeah. were, all, they were all on. They were all off. They were a slightly awkward hue to make, to make your skin look very good, to make you feel like you're being nice in the space. So, um you know, what, what we can do is, again, consider the people in the space. How are people coming back from the homes wanting to use it? Do they, do they want to sit in a slightly more relaxed and informal space um, where the colour tone is slightly warmer, perhaps? Do they want to sit at a banker desk and do something sort of very focused? Maybe the light temperature is slightly cooler and it does come from overhead. Um, but I think what, what we're seeing is this idea that people do want to have a say in what they're doing you know again we're not providing the lighting scheme for the desk or for the carpet we're providing it for people so if we don't ask them what they want we're not going to input a successful scheme we've got to talk to them about how they want to use it um how they intend to to fill the space and populate the space um you know, at one end is that very simple task light that gives you localized zoned control to people. And at the other end, it's kind of the, the rise of informal pause points and kind of, again, hospitality led breakout spaces that maybe there's some funky seating, there's there's a lot more FF&E lighting that makes it feel slightly more residential or slightly softer. These are really creative spaces that people have got used to working in. They've shown that they can do their jobs from these home from home spaces. And so creating these sort of mini destinations that that's still a formal workplace but it feels much more residential less less shirts and ties um and it it could even be something that we're looking at in a couple of schemes 
the dynamism of lighting. So we've, we've got these different layers of lights at different heights and integrated in the joinery, but maybe very subtly, it shifts the brightness and color temperature over the course of a day without anybody input in. So you have localized zone control that people can, can do their own task lights for, but with a relatively simple lighting control system, you can have color temperature that, that varies over the course of the day. So maybe when you come in in the morning, it's ever so slightly warmer and it gets slightly cooler and slightly brighter over the course of a number of hours towards lunchtime. Imperceptibly, you won't notice it when you're working under it, but you, you may pop out for a coffee and come back in. It feels a bit brighter, a bit crisper. You may come back after lunch and it's it's slightly punchier and cooler for that getting over that post-lunch I want a nap kind of slump that, that a lot of people feel. And then again, sort of winding you down towards the end of the day. So again, getting slightly dimmer and slightly warmer, kind of readying your your body and your your eyes biologically for when you step outside and maybe the sun is setting or maybe it's already dark, mm-hmm. um, as as will be happening very soon. But yeah. but kind of not not in training you specifically, but but taking cues from what nature does and artificially um, sort of building in some of that dynamism and some of that automated shifting um, of light. I think that's great. I mean, the circadian rhythm, I think, is really um, is really important. I think for us, and I think like like you say, to to create a space um, and, and a sort of good lighting design really can enhance all the other aspects of you know because people listening to this and you know interior designers and, and and business owners that might think oh yeah you know they've, they've heard about plants and they've heard about textures and soft <laughs> furnishings and rounded shapes and pathways and you know creating intrigue and prospects and refuge and so they're implementing all these things but to actually kind of it's almost for me it's like it's like icing on the cake literally because it's white and light <laughs> <laughs> um but it but it is and it kind of just adds that final bit of a finesse because you know it just can really create beautiful um spaces that are awe-inspiring and can create such joy um amongst the people working there and and you mentioned you taking cues from the hospitality space i think um that's really good i mean people listening to this you know if you're thinking about installing design at lighting and you know different lighting or switching it out i think if you think about like a bar you've gone to or a restaurant you've gone to or a fantastic hotel you think about the lighting zoning um and it does it takes you through and that's obviously also bifolic design because you're led through where the light is or you're going towards the light or you're you know you're tired and you want to go towards the darker areas or you want to sit in the dark areas um i think that really makes a difference and you, you obviously talk about zoning as well which is incredibly important so um do you um i mean you talk about different layers of illumination to bring that that whole kind of um aspect of of daylight um can you can maybe give an example of where you've installed it um and just kind of what the results were yeah so i think you know to to jump back ever so slightly the circadian rhythms are incredibly important and it is the way that you know human health has entrained itself to this very uh, sort of 24 hour ish cycle of of light and dark what what we can't do with artificial lighting is replicate daylight in its entirety. The, the the spectrum that it has in terms of color temperature is far too broad. And I think actually the the brightness that you need to trigger a biological response is is upwards in the thousands of lux rather than the hundreds of lux that we put into an interior space. But what we can do is take these cues from daylight, how it performs, how it changes and shifts over the course of a day. And I think what what you mentioned about hospitality, you know, a successful hospitality space, a bar or a restaurant is somewhere that looks and feels great when you walk in and you want to visit it time and time again. Mm-hmm. And, and invariably it is creating these destinations. Light will be a huge factor and, you know, good lighting will be a huge factor in, in all of those. And 
not that we want to make every workplace feel like a hotel, but what we can do is provide a bit of visual relief and a bit of adaptability in commercial spaces that allow you these breakout points. So you have got these destinations and moments that you want to visit over and over again. Um, well, one one example, I guess, um, on a big project, we, we did a project at Nolte a few years ago um, in an office that was a, a tunable white lead scheme. So not, I'm not going to use the word circadian because it wasn't fully in training, but taking the idea of what daylight does, um, you know, starting at the ceiling, it had um, a mix of direct and indirect lighting coming from above in in a ranging from a very warm to a very cool. So it did that sort of classic graph of when you came in at, at seven, eight in the morning, it was much warmer and slightly dimmer and sort of woke you up over the course of the day. And it got brighter and cooler towards lunchtime um, up until about early afternoon, where it's very punchy, very crisp and cool. Um, and then slowly dipped in brightness and got warmer towards the end of the day. And that was a mix of indirect and direct lighting at the ceiling, coupled with um, you know, a number of great feature walls the interior designer put around the edge of the space. So we, we, we lit those vertical surfaces. So in your periphery over the tops of your monitor, as you were walking around the circulation, which you had these wonderful lit surfaces framing sort of almost your panoramic vision. If you're if you're facing the window, you know, lucky, good for you. But you know, such as the sort of deep floor plates we're designing with now, not everybody has direct access to a window, but what you can do is introduce these horizontal moments um, where, where people can light those. And again, you had this kind of tunable white circadian lead scheme in the main office space, but the, the kitchen points and the tea points deliberately a, a slightly dimmer, slightly warmer static whites. They felt more residential, having lots of pockets of informal seating with, with lots of decorative and FFLE lighting. So they were they had a sort of residential bleed coming back into them. So people felt very comfortable in in stopping there and having a coffee and maybe bumping into somebody, sort of re re curating those sorts of water cooler moments that that happen by chance but you know deliberately giving spaces over to that where moments of creativity can happen moments of informal chat can happen and actually then you sort of feel a bit refreshed and maybe you do wander back to your desk or you go and go and find another meeting space um but you've had this kind of wonderful breakup of something that maybe feels very formal and commercial um something slightly more residential something slightly more hospitality um, and it's been very well received. We've, we've been back a couple of times to tweak some of the control system levels over the course of the day. People felt um, it was getting too cool too quickly or too warm too soon. Um, but on the whole, it it must have been a success because they then expanded into two floors above and asked us to come back and, and relook at a lighting scheme for them there as well. So they're obviously enjoying how it's going. Um, and then, it, you know, we've, we've implemented a sort of very similar scheme, even have got different ceiling heights and things there. Um, but what's come around this time is reorientation of meeting rooms. So much like we're doing now, VC is, is really the future over, over lots of in-person meetings. And so making sure you've got good levels of vertical illumination to people's faces, so you're not sitting in silhouette, um, but balanced with the daylight that's coming in. So simple things like window treatments and giving them an option to put a blind down, but also a daylight sensor that's managing how much daylight's coming into the space and automatically shifting the, the artificial light above you and um, to make sure you're in balance and, and not using too much energy and sort of being too wasteful in the space that's great i'm going to ask you about plants in a minute but um just before i do that i want to ask you um what advice would you give um to a business so someone who's listening to this podcast um and that they want to create a sort of a you know a happy healthy environment for their staff you know what what the sort of very sort of what bit of advice would you give them 
Was I think he, we'd ask them to come to you guys for the for the design. Uh, yes, so been that, that that's a sort of pre precursor for for my answer. Um, but I think you know, step one is if if a business is looking to do that, the you know, it's an acknowledgement that they're not perhaps already providing a, a biophilic led environment. So that acknowledgement and the desire to want to provide the best environment your staff is really good. Um, one of the best things I think is making sure that your biophilic approach is, is joined up between all disciplines. You know, there's there's no point in having a beautiful lighting scheme if you've got a very rigid and cellular approach for, for your office and desks that, that isn't working for how the space is going to use. There's also, you know, no point having lots of lovely furniture and sort of design spaces and you know all your lovely um f and b but if if they're not well lit or they're not well considered and you know right right up to the management philosophy you you, you can create these wonderful biophilic laid spaces but if if the management approach is to sit on your shoulder and micromanage everything you're going to feel quite constrained and, and rich so i think if you if you want to implement a biophilic approach it has to be full circle holistically applied across all disciplines right from um, sort of acoustics and interior design to light and design but the, the management philosophy and how and how the the company approaches um, make it all completely joined up and you know circular for want of a better word but ultimately if if one of the disciplines hasn't been continued or um hasn't been considered then your biophilic approach will fall down because it, it has to be joined up across all disciplines that are being implemented in the space mm, brilliant well thanks thanks for that so anybody listening um yeah hopefully i think that's really nice to actually um <clears throat> initially acknowledge that um you want to create a better space for your workers and um, for the people and everyone just workers but everybody who uses that space you know absolutely um yeah and you've got your, your, you've got to think as well you know you might be entertaining your business clients and trying to win business as well so you know creating a space that they're going to want to come back to and give you repeat business as well so there's there's win-win everywhere um and um also you can retain your staff <laughs> so yeah of, i mean it's yeah. staff retention but also you know if you look at some of the developers that are looking to, to fit out a space you know the right approach and fitting out a space draws in the right tenant as well you know so yeah, then then you have longevity of a of a tenant there as well they have longevity in, in um staff retention and it and it it supports everybody along that whole chain um that, that is living and working inside uh, the built environment that's brilliant. Thanks very much. Um, so I'm going to ask you about plants just just very quickly. Yeah. People ask me about plants and they think that I know. I'm like I'm not the fount of all knowledge on plants. I have a lot <laughs> of plants, as you can see in my in the back back window back thing here. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, how would you? I mean, is it is it like just a very simple piece of advice? Would you give people on on sort of like keeping their plants healthy in terms of lighting? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, smaller plants, particularly in the workplace, sort of pot plants and succulents and things. Most of these species species are diurnal like us they need 8 10 12 hours of daylight exposure and light exposure but they need the visual relief at night at the other end of the spectrum as well okay i think when people talk biophilia greenery and, and plants is is the obvious image that, that's conjured up in your head and i think green walls in particular have a bit of a misconception in workplaces at the moment what we need to understand is um if you've got great daylight exposure, this this is where your green walls should be located. Once you start getting further inboard on floor plates away from windows, and becomes much more difficult to, to keep them alive without artificial lighting. We can absolutely supplement daylight in terms of lighting something like a green wall. And LED is very good at tune into a particular wavelength for flowers or greenery or blooming or there's particular species of leaf. But ultimately, if there is no daylight and you're looking for your green wall to be lit purely artificially, which, which can be done, 
you do need quite a lot of power to do this. And it contradicts a lot of the sustainability credits and a lot of the building credits that we're increasingly looking looking to achieve and being encouraged to look at. So um, with, with things like Briam and Well, lots of these credits uh, limit you in the amount of electrical load, the, the power density you can put into a floor plate. And actually, if you need to put... Um, upwards of a thousand lux across a green wall um, over its entirety for eight ten hours a day because there isn't any daylight exposure that's a really high amount of collected load it's, it's a lot of watts that, that need to go against that wall and it's it's picking and choosing where you want to put this making sure it has got got daylight as your number one proponent of illuminating a green wall and then we can come in and supplement that it, it's very difficult to advocate no daylight to agree even though it might be the, the best space for you to mount this sort of vertical feature um if it's not getting any daylight you're going to use a disproportionate amount of power keeping it alive and i, I think as you've touched on on the podcast before a poorly maintained set of plants or poorly maintained greenery is almost worse than, than none at all so you've got to make sure that that maintenance strategy is in um and that plants are looked after to, to make them a success yeah, exactly. Or just sort of put a virtual nature wall in and light it. <laughs> I think that's the thing. <laughs> um, so is there anything else? I'm going to ask you the final question, which I, I ask everybody. And I'm always excited yep. to hear people's um, reaction to, to it. Um, but is there anything else that you would like to add? Um, I mean, I think we've touched on a very broad spectrum of things. I can happily chat for another hour um, mm -hmm. off and on about this. But no, I, I think the, the biggest thing is the Workplace Trends Conference coming up um, on the 18th of October. I'm, I'm talking there amongst a whole host of um, other fantastic speakers, and I'll be talking more on the future workplace lighting and kind of biophilic-led approaches. So it's a real expansion of what we've touched on today. That's brilliant. Well, I'm going to put a link um, on the podcast blurb. So if you're interested in the conference, uh, listeners, please do go and click on the link and register. Um, it's an amazing conference. The people are so interesting, great networking, and a lot of them become friends. Um, and I even class some of them as family, actually, because I feel like I've seen them and know them really well. So um, it's, it's really, really lovely. Um, so my final question, um, Gary, is um, if you could paint the world with a magic brush of biophilia, what would it look like? I love this question on your podcast because it, it really gets the cogs turning. You know, what, what can you conjure up in your head? And it was probably genuinely the, the most difficult question to, to think of an answer to on this. And I think so often when people imagine the future or, a, you know, pristine scenario, the future particularly at the moment feels very dystopian and gray in what people conjure up. And I think, you know, if we could sweep a magic biophilic brush across all of that it would be the absolute antithesis of blade runner 2049 you know it's this beautiful lush environment um natural flourishing world that's where all the built environment there is a necessity for humans to survive but it it's an extension of nature it's integrated within nature rather than being the sort of very concrete and steel heavy add-on that we find much of our cities being um Obviously, with a, a lighting bias, I think there's there's so much we don't know about lighting and so much that we're yet to find out. But I think in the future, we would have all this knowledge. We would have all this understanding and we would be daylight focused, daylight led and only using um, artificial lighting to kind of augment our spaces and elevate them. But all in tune with providing the right amount of light in the right space at the right time. Thank you for listening to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast.